One. Welcome to blah, 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 episode number 3,454. And we're still coming up with new topics, how about that? Me and Brett are now 45 years old. Yeah, I wonder. So, uh, what's the, I mean, 3,000 something, let's just say that's probably what, eight years? So yeah, probably, you know what, pretty much bang on, 45 years old. Because I'm 37 right now, although in two days' time I'll be 38. Oof, so. rough. <laughs> oh, that's not, I'm not that old, mate. No, I'll tell you one thing, though. I look at people nowadays, and I, as in, I look at people my age, and I think to myself, I don't look that old. No way. Like, no, no way. And I don't, I, I genuinely don't think I do, but I also am conscious enough to worry that other people look at me and think, yeah, you do look that old, and I'm just completely blind and ignorant to how old I look. I think the generation above us, like our parents, at 40, they looked 40. No. I don't think you also think that generation as well, even though they're in their sixties now. No, but sixty. I'm not even talking about different generations, mate. I'm talking about literally my generation that I look at other forty year olds now and think, I don't look as old as you. I'm sure I don't. I mean, and and I'm not forty, so I shouldn't. But I mean, like even like similar age group, I look at some people and I think, there's no way are they only thirty. Like you, I look at you and think, there's no way you're only thirty five. You look what fifty. I mean, you easily look fifty something. So. <laughs> 50 year old savage that's alright <laughs> 50 year old savage um, but no seriously I do I do think that I think oh I'm sure and I don't know if it's because you know I have clearly uh, um, an enthusiasm for health and wellness and maybe that helps me look a little bit younger I don't know I mean even despite being bald I've got no hair you would think that would make me look and a big beard and you would think that would make me look way older but I just I just look at other people and think mm, no no you don't know I don't, I don't think you don't look more near 40 Thank you, thank you, yeah, well, that's what you I say, am. <laughs> well, yeah, you are, yeah, but you would say early, early 30s at best. As in not younger. So you mean, you as in, invading, are you invading Kabul right now? Oh, I don't think you can say that in the podcast, mate. <laughs> in the podcast, that's quite rude, but you look invading Kabul at the moment. What, because I've got a beard? Hmm. It's not actually anywhere near as beard as beard. Oh my god! So anyway, <laughs> hey, it's no, it's nowhere near as bad as this time last year, and I know that from seeing the Facebook memories. Because um, what's ironic as well? Obviously, my birthday's in two days. I don't know. I don't know if ironic is actually the right word, but um, coincidental maybe. Um, maybe that's not even the right word. What I was going to say before I basically went off on a tangent on my own in that tiny little malfunctioning minute, I uh, shaved my beard off. I think the day before or the day of my birthday last year. So, and that was when obviously when it got extremely bad, when I must have had at least, I'm going to guess seven, maybe eight months worth of growth. So, and obviously looking back at my memories to see what my beard looked like a year ago, leading up to this point where I know obviously in the next day or so, my memories a year ago are going to tell me I've shaved it off. Mm. I do look quite incredibly homeless. Yeah, I would say you do, yeah. yeah. Not so much now, not so much now. Like this is probably only a month's growth. Yeah, but you'd look like a terrorist last time with hundred percent terrorist. I don't even know if that's politically correct, Jonathan. That you can even say that, but let's go with it. Yeah, but look how many terrorists got beard. <laughs> oh, I think that's probably the best comeback I've ever heard. <laughs> look how many terrorists have a beard. 
loads. Absolutely loads of them. <clears throat> wow. I would say if you're Taliban, 99%. I, I imagine that must be to do with some form of connection to religion, though. Probably. Because, yeah, I mean, unless I'm just completely stereotyping in that, I just assume everybody in the Taliban has a beard and a turban, but... We do. But I don't know if that's true. We're obviously showing our ignorance quite quite a lot right now, but... Yeah, it's true. Because I, I know nothing about the Taliban or really Al-Qaeda um, or Afghanistan generally as a place. Other than, I do know that it is a very high exporter of... Um, Certain Heroin. opiates. Heroin. Heroin. Yeah. Yeah. Well. And terror. And terror, yeah. I mean, clearly what's going on at the moment is quite terror and terrifying and terrible. They do want a peaceful um, transitional today, which they wouldn't have said before. Did they? They said they would, we want a peaceful transition, and they did. They they, they phoned the BBC News anchor, didn't they? Live on TV, it was like, oh, yeah, this is not a setup, is it? I mean, you know I mean? yeah. Well, I I feel sorry, obviously, for uh, well, for, for I guess the the public of Af- Afghanistan, really, um, especially women. Obviously, when you hear around how the culture of how they treat women, mm. you, you do worry and fear that. I mean, yeah, I I, I don't. Don't get into too much world politics, I suppose, because obviously there's nothing we can really do about it from where me and you are just sitting right now. But it does make you think scary place out there and how sheltered we live, really, in kind of uh, higher socioeconomic Western worlds. What we should have done is not interfered and let Gaddafi and the other and the other fellas just control the country because they would nip these fuckers in the bud, which they did. Uh, it's still another evil but it seemed like a better evil than they got now yeah well uh, I can't claim to know all of the again the politics as to what happened but the US obviously had a big play in funding and giving them lots of weapons um, yeah, when they fought the Russians yeah um, obviously and I guess there are certain consequences of that um, having been now yes okay they held off the Russians but now they quite have or have quite the army, um, which is disappointing. Obviously, as soon as Trump removed his obviously military presence, then all of a sudden they come out of nowhere and decide to take over the entire country. So, in offense, they must they beasts. They fought off Russia, and pretty much now they've fought off. That's that's US. because yeah, they're well trained, well armed, huge amounts of numbers. Um, they I don't go. think they obviously they wouldn't survive if they invaded another country. But they use their country to the very best advantage, don't they? Yeah, they do. They do. I mean, and, and the problem is, obviously, I guess, again, without talking too much politics, uh, so we'll maybe we'll move on after this. But um, it's very difficult for other countries to interfere. Uh, I mean, obviously, you know, you look at the UK. The UK are not going to get involved in anything like that unless there is kind of more backing from the likes of the US and whoever else. Because I think, obviously, it would be silly to try and get involved. And I just we just haven't obviously enough power to be able to do so. But it just makes them want to attack us, sending it. Mm, yeah, but anywho, um, what's going on, Johnny? Let's, let's find out how things are with the elbow. Don't know why I said it like that. It's definitely progressing. I can I can load bear it more, but it's just the the range of elbow flexion isn't what it should be currently. Which is so I'm debating whether or not if I keep 
I do exercises on it, like curls with a band. And I do tricep extensions and preacher curls in the gym, light. Do I try and force the range or am I just like, this is just natural um, progress of the injury? You know what I mean? It's like, because I'm of the thing. I've, if I've ever been injured, I, I try and move it. Like if I have uh, my back, I try and move my back and not sit down. So I, I always think that that's the best thing. Mm. But in case of just moving it in the range, it can move in without pain. Or am I, do I need to force it? Because it just feels like a ligament's really tight. And like if you just pull that too far, is it, are they going to, I don't know, snap, but you know what I mean, tear. Well, so, do, do more damage, just whatever yeah, that, that looks like. But. Or it's just a case of just riding out the next two weeks. Because it is, it, it, is, it is getting better. But uh, I think it's just a case of we want to get back to training properly. Isn't it? Yeah, well, I guess we uh, we're gonna we did say before recording that we will probably do a bit of an episode around um, training and training around injuries and this type of thing. So loathe to go into too much detail around it, but I suppose the overall watch and premise is load management and pain management. And I think mobilization is definitely something. Assuming that that isn't going to cause further damage, which probably not in hyperextension of an elbow. Um, assume you don't hyperextend it again which is probably not ideal um, you're probably right but yeah maybe we'll, we'll talk about those strategies in a bit more detail yeah apart apart from that I um, Eliza was introduced to today and she learned another arm drag it's quite cool that uh, you are taking her to see because I guess like getting someone in, into something that young um, builds lots of skills character um, obviously fitness exercise um, even the culture of it, I think. Yeah, because the good positive. thing is you've got three boys. You've got the main instructor who takes me, um, who's a bit is is nice. Obviously, he's obviously nice to the kids, but he's the one that says if they cry just because they don't want to do something. He's like, well, we all got to do things we don't want to do in life. If this is hard, life life is going to be easier for you. Then the other two boys were. were One's mid twenties, one's a teenager, sixteen, seventeen, and they're a bit softer with them, so it gives that dynamic. Or someone's quite not hard, but harder, so it doesn't it does instill a bit of discipline in them. And you watch like Eliza's only four, and there's boys there who are six or seven, and you watch when they when they sparred, you know, so they sparred the end, they grappled, and they you can see they are going for particular moves in they put them in particular places like. It's good for them because when kids are that age and they start, you know, especially bullying in school, then they are going to have the confidence to be able to go right. I, I can, I can deal with this. But it gives them mental strength, I think, because it's a difficult sport to learn in it. And if they if they thinking and working on their weaknesses when they're that young to get better, then I think it puts them in a better place in life to learn. And to deal with potentially bullying, because I think I think a lot of people, kids get bullied in school, whether it's just like name calling or you know whatever it is. There's different severities in it, but I think it gets them a better place to deal with things again. And also they learn, you know, a vital skill, self defence. You know, if she's four, I mean, when she's 14, 15, 16 she's been doing this for ten, twelve years, so she's going to be a bit of a tank. Mm. So I, 
for me as well. It's for me as well. It's like I know when she's asking older, she's 16, 17, 18. I think all fathers worry about daughters, isn't they? Like with sons, I think. I don't know. It's not you do worry about them, do you? But it's just a bit like I don't know. It does. It, I don't know. Just you, you, you see your little girl is a bit more vulnerable than you. Yeah, I, I know for sure. I, I, I'd be interested to see how long. I guess they keep up for or she keeps up for because it's probably something that can quite easily fall away like anything like any kids get involved in stuff obviously they can be interested for a short period of time and then just decide they don't want to do it anymore but like you say if she does keep it up um lots of life skills and lots of i think it does a lot of character building as i say and the confidence thing is the big thing for me just giving the kid the confidence to go out and kind of be themselves and mm. make yeah. sure that obviously they can you know, take that confidence to everything they do not just kind of you know we're not just about self-defense and obviously confidence against bullies and stuff like that but just just generally confident in kind of applying themselves in all other aspects yeah because I think, I think it's best we can work on your mental toughness as a youngster it makes things a lot easier when you go through school especially teenagers you know what teenagers like and kids are like quite harsh now so there's and you know, when, when you go to self-defense, you you haven't got, you know that, you know, even if a bigger bloke comes on to her and she's 18, 19, 20, she's got the ability to put him on the deck and make him look stupid. So it's like, you know, at least it reduces the risk of something happening. Obviously, it, doesn't, it, never, it never eliminates all risks, is it? Because there's, there's always risks for everything you do, but just gives me that bit more confidence in her as well. And she's happy doing it. She looks forward to doing it because it's not all... They do like the jiu-jitsu in like a 15-minute spell in between like warming up and playing about and doing games at the end. So she just sees us running around and doing a bit of this. But she, because she's so young, she's the youngest and the smallest, they tend to take it on her own as well. They mix it with the kids when they do in sparring, but they'll mess up with her. So they are yeah. But she's used to that bigger person putting on the floor and sort of laying on top of us and she just finds it fun. And it's quite good. Let's let's hope she don't find that so much fun when she's in her teens, mate. No, that's absolutely right. <laughs> hey. yeah. uh, I've got two girls, so I shouldn't be laughing. Um, no, it, it, is, it is inevitably inevitable as a dad that you worry and just have fearful moments of your because you are protective. Obviously, you would be protective of a boy or a girl, but you just do generally just for whatever reason worry a bit less if you have. A boy than you do girls and there's just this cultural thing as well like if that's you know you all don't joke uh, dads joke about not meeting partners and stuff and they're gonna be celibate until they're 96 or whatever um but when it's a lad that go on son out you get go on yeah go on you go out there just how it is isn't it so um good good well obviously nice to hear things uh are getting at least a bit better with the elbow and um do you know what i did this weekend i met up with one young yeah. Edward Whitaker. Um he came along to an event that we were doing at Tough Mudder in well I th- it's spelled B E L V I O R or O I R. I can't remember which word, it doesn't matter. So it's, so it looks like Belvoir or Belvoir Belvoir. Um apparently it's pronounced Beaver. Didn't know Be- that. Beaver, yeah. So uh, we went to Beaver Castle, which is quite epic actually. Uh castle on a massive hill, huge grounds, like like estate doesn't even give it the right word it is literally just like a county almost I'm not even joking like you can't you can you basically it goes beyond your ability to see so obviously as far as you can see it's still owned all in this castle grounds it's amazing 
um, but they basically hold this tough model event there and we did uh, a very fun i mean most people listening will probably know what a tough model event is but essentially it is 10 to 12 miles of muddy obstacles um the highlight very much is the electric shocks so um going it's through that. yeah it's pretty nasty um i'm not gonna lie it's one of those things where you think oh 10,000 volts i can't be that bad like surely they wouldn't allow it to happen if it was if it was that bad you know it can't be dangerous and okay yeah it's unlikely to kill you unless you've got like a pacemaker or you know heart problems um hence the waiver but it does absolutely smart and um i don't know what's worse because the fear or anxiety of what's coming is pretty bad like i was <laughs> what's quite ironic is there was about 25 30 of us and i've done it before and i was joking around about everyone saying oh you know oh, it's really bad you know don't 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 chicken out when you get there and then when we got to the last bit where this like, it's kind of like a giant wooden frame with like hay bales underneath and all muddy little hills and it's like proper wet and slippery as well um and then just loads of dangling wires which are like i don't know 10 inches apart five inches apart no no 10 is probably too much probably five inches apart it's literally impossible to get through without you can't you, there's no way you can strategically try and crystal maze it through or crypto factor it type through so you have to just head down and run because if you just wait too long you just obviously could get electrocuted and um or shocked and uh yeah everyone gets gets there and goes uh go on then brett you go first and i'm like uh, what and i stood there and i kind of couldn't get myself to go i was like i don't think i can do it <laughs> honestly because i just think to myself i remember how bad this is and then how long was it uh, 10 meters probably so what you want to do is run as fast as you can and then jump as far as you can oh, yeah and that is kind of what you do but you do also have to you can't just like sprint because most people don't want to get electrocuted or shocked in the face so you kind of start to put your arms out a little bit to try and avoid them hitting you like keeping out your eyes or face and stuff some people didn't care but then you know if you get one that in the head or the ear i imagine that's pretty bad yeah. um what's quite you're not you're not on the ground you're not grounded well i think being grounded doesn't help me uh or being not grounded doesn't help um because unless you can jump 10 meters you're a bit stuffed well, at least you can reduce a couple of meters yeah but um no nah, that doesn't that's, i think it's you could overthinking it is the problem i think that's what the problem what people get they think about well, how i'm going to get through this think don't think Good it time. just head down just run except you're going to get it a couple of times but just get through it um i think if not what happens is people get there and they get shot kind of don't know what to do and then, then kind of stop that's like do not stop because you get stuck and then that point then you either get in a, stuck in a position where you're kind of just stuck there not getting shocked but you're just like basically trapped because you don't dare then move or you get kind of shocked fall over and then you're just consistently getting shocked which obviously happens to a lot of people they get they get like a, a, a get one in the back and you hear it obviously that's like um it's no different i guess than what people if they live in farmlands and have like electric fences and stuff um like in sheep pens or horses pens and stuff and um you get one in like a major muscle group like you you know like anywhere down your posterior chain or like your glutes or somewhere like in your back or whatever and it just takes people off their feet they just literally stop and just fall down and um obviously at that point then trying to crawl out and as they crawl they're getting shocked again and honestly it's horrendous a couple of people had to get like stop uh, the stop whole thing and get people out Cause they, yeah because obviously they're different like, i guess the there's an mc there like making jokes and bantering people and just kind of just making it entertaining for people watching and um he's like you're right you're right do you want us to stop it and in the end like a couple they actually literally have to stop the thing pull all the wires away obviously turn it off pull all the wires away with a big massive hook and just let them get out because they're just just consistently just getting shocked for about a minute straight you're like oh shit this is pretty rough um but that's good it's good fun i must admit like we did it in about 30 people and every single one of them said i want to sign up next year and do the next one so such a laugh they are funny 
it is, it is a good event they'd rather just a straight 10 mile run yeah yeah, yeah. I, the, the running part's the easy bit because you don't really feel like you're running 10 miles because you're only running like half a mile at a time stopping and then you're doing an obstacle so the hard, I, I find the hardest bits um, stuff that require like gripping hanging because obviously like you're a bit wet muddy like grips that are not ideal and you kind of like have to do like monkey bars and climbing on like different hard things to grip and get you but get yourself across different bits and they're the, the most difficult bits for me because um yeah just just find it's just hard like you fall off into like quite long falls into like water and stuff so you don't going to hurt yourself but no one wants to really fall off everyone wants to get to the side and yeah i think they're definitely the, the harder bits than other than the anxiety of getting electrocuted i think the first electrocution one was halfway through the the race and it was kind of like going through um two foot of water maybe like crawling through two foot of water and then little wires dangling down above your head so you kind of like trying to get through this water while you like then not get electrocuted and obviously you don't want to get one in the head but like no. it's just trying to avoid your head these little wires and i mean i got a couple in the back and stuff and i got to the end and i said to ed like this feels horrible i feel like i can't like um protract my shoulders they feel like they're constantly like sticking back like my muscles are just cramped up and i mean i don't know if anyone's ever used the, those old, old um abdominal uh, like electric pads that used to do where, eh, eh. obviously that kind of does that when you get hit and you're like oh i can't move now i feel like i've just i feel like i just had like a really severe massage and that like you know that feeling when you had a massage and you feel all tired and like oh that's how i feel now but, um yeah it's a good day we had we had a massive uh burger at a place called fat hippo afterwards in nottingham so if anyone that lives in the uh the midlands area around there and has ever been banging burger really good what Speaking of Nottingham, I, I, I think it was the right place. Remember the way we went to um, what to be able to a conference? There was a massive gym there. there was uh, a gym was in was it Nottingham um, Uni in Nottingham? Oh uh, yeah, that'd be uh, yeah. It was at the uni, opposite the conference centre, the East Midlands Conference Conference Centre. That's right. That was a good gym. It's yeah. a uni. Fair play. Proper powerlifting type of like. Um, Morgan do like five minutes and uh, left. That was his, that was his lot, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, pretty much. Yeah, yeah. Obviously, best thing about it is uh, we had some of Tom Max um, at the time when it was quite new. That Endeavor pre-workout that we had a tub of that with us, and obviously everyone smashed this this um, pre-workout down. And yeah, he's five minutes in. Said, "All right, boys, are going home." <laughs> Bad enough. Oh dear. But yeah, uh, what's going on with me? Finished my dieting phase, so that's all done now. I'm so- now cruising into a, a slight gain taining again. Um, or um, I don't know what else you could call it. Gaintaining, main gaining, main gaining. I don't know. That sounds shit. Yeah. Um, so yeah, basically, um, obviously, it isn't a maintenance phase by any stretch. I suppose it is meant to be a surplus, but obviously, as before, just trying to keep that rate of gain as slow as really I can kind of do without kind of being so slow. I see no progress. Um, so yeah, I think I, you know, I think my overall loss was about nine pounds something in that four weeks, which is pretty decent. Sure. Didn't quite hit my average target because obviously that's just the actual weight loss from my top end to bottom end. Um, I was kind of hoping for an average of getting below one seven five in the end, but that didn't happen. But probably bought myself probably probably till Christmas now again to kind of keep going through and then perhaps review in the new year, see where I at, where I need to kind of hit another dieting phase obviously i guess at some point as i'm doing kind of little cuts bulks cuts bulks i guess i'm probably at some point i'm gonna have to do a longer cut to almost restart the whole process but um 
it's nice to think obviously I've had a full year now bulking and kind of got myself another few months to go and can just kind of keep making sure that the ratio of bulking to dieting is is on the right side are you still in good condition that's the thing isn't it? yeah yeah that would bulk for you and be fat yeah I, I mean I'm I'm in all right condition um I'm comfortable it's probably like I'm quite neutral to how I look as in terms of like I don't love how I look by any stretch but I don't also hate how I look I feel okay taking my shirt off like if I was to go to the beach tomorrow I won't have any qualms taking my shirt off and worrying about how I look oh I must look shredded or whatever else so um it's quite a nice place to be really because obviously being in the condition I am where I'm not ultra lean does allow me a lot, lot more flexibility with my nutrition does a lot allow my train to be a bit better and all that type of stuff so i think when you can get happy in this type of position it's uh there's a lot to be said about it it's a good place to be so happy days. yeah um and i guess like that leads us on a little bit to what we're going to talk about today jonathan so i, I guess i had a chat or a, uh well my weekly nutrition check-in call with one of my clients david and um we were kind of just talking about some some different things and we're focusing a lot on behaviors and habits as you probably expect from uh, from any type of nutrition culture uh coaching but one of the things we did talk around was kind of like mindset around how we view food meals and meals food and selections food. um specifically around like what is the purpose of eating as in really about how do we look at food do we look at food as the as a pleasurable experience or do we look at food as obviously more functional serving a a, a real purpose rather than just being something that we enjoy uh, and we had a big big chat about it and it's kind of come down to like how often or, or, or how historically people have always looked at food i guess if you don't pay much attention to it as just something to enjoy like the, every time you pick a meal it's like i want something i'm going to enjoy and I guess that's the partly has led to an obesity epidemic. Obviously, the reasons people do that are quite complicated and nuanced. We've talked about it loads of times, but um, people generally just eat for pleasure. And obviously, that leads to an overconsumption of foods. So it was interesting chat to have. And I kind of thought it'd be an interesting thing to, to speak about in terms of like how how can you get someone to kind of look at foods more functional? Should we even do that? And if we should, like how much of it? Is there a spectrum around should people worry about, or, or you know should people have more food for function less food for function than pleasure kind of what your, what are your thoughts on the general area do you think when we, when we say to people ideally you need to be eating protein every meal that is eating for function because that the function of that protein is if you're going to cut is the diet phase is to help to preserve muscle mass for one two you need protein to survive body functions, there's proteins involved in pretty much everything in it. Yeah, so, there's de- there's definitely a real functional purpose mm. there. So that is function. That that is you're eating for function, and there's not to say eating for function eating for taste are. They can be the same. You know, what I mean, so you can. They're not mutually exclusive, are they? I can't think. Of the say that's the one. It's like just because you're eating for function doesn't mean it can't also be. In, for taste it's like if you went to a barbecue then protein wise you're eating for function because there's plenty of protein in barbecue however it does taste nice as well obviously depending on the barbecue but for, for most people the, the majority of the time they should be eating for function and then finding a way to, to make that functional eating taste nice because i think where for the general population they 
just associate dieting with chicken salad, vegetables, um, just plain, no sauce, no salt, no cut, nothing. Cutting out food. bread, no rice, no white yeah. carbs. Yeah, and that. So for them, eating for function in their mind is like, oh my God, I can't do this. It's just going to be disgusting when it's not. Most people, everyone should eat for function, first of all. Because if you're eating for function, then you would like to think that you're going to be healthier, you're going to operate better, you're going to have more energy, to do, you're going to be able to recover better than eating for pure pleasure. You know, might be when you're away on holidays or you're at a wedding or something. Or you're out with friends and you just eat, you, you go to a restaurant you wouldn't normally go to, so you just eat purely for taste because you want that particular food because, you know, you don't have to eat for function at every meal. But people should eat for function, first of all, and find a way to make that tasty because you can have both easily. Mm. You think now, if you had if you had a chef, if you were rich enough to have a chef, you know, you say, right, Mr. Chef or Mrs. Chef, this is the calories I eat today. This is the protein I want. Do we want the fats and carbs? Make make it tasty. Then you wouldn't feel like you're on a diet. But you're eating for function, but you're also eating for taste. So it's just about, you, people need to, that's why it's important to learn how to cook to some degree. I mean, you have to be from a Michelin star chef, but the more you're able to cook, the easier it's going to be to eat for function. And that's not to say it's easier to diet, because sometimes eating tasty foods makes it harder to diet. You know, eating plain food sometimes makes it easier to diet. You know what I mean? So people should eat for function first of all, especially people who are obese, overweight, unhealthy, just to get into a place where they're healthy and they function better. It's only one body you've got. When when that's gone, it's dead, you're dead, you know, and that's it. Or yeah. not disabled, but you're injured, or you degenerated your knees, or because you're too overweight and you just can't walk properly, your bad hips. So people go for function. Hmm. I, I think. I think also. I think people do also take it to the extreme and like you listen to boilers. I'm hardcore. I will not put sauce on all my bodies. I'm eating for function and not for taste ever. It's a bit like, yeah, well, you're just going to be a div. So why would you not have a bit of salt and a bit of sauce? Like, it's not going to make any difference to you. You know what I mean? Mm. But is that angle which people should avoid as well? Yeah. And that, I mean, spoiler alert, I guess the outcome with the chat I had with, with Dave was around absolutely that there should be elements of our nutrition that are purely for function. There should absolutely be elements of nutrition that are purely for enjoyment. But I guess our expectations of how much of our diet should be that are probably a lot different than what we a lot of us might automatically assume. Um, I think the amount of like enjoyment meals are probably a lot lot lower than people think they can they should be doing for a healthful diet or and obviously especially a weight loss diet because obviously clearly not the same thing. Um, but also I think the amount of functional meals that people um, should eat are probably lower than what they might think if to achieve any success you can get away with eating a lot less functional in air quote meals than and still achieve a lot of success in the point you made um around like there's a big middle ground like a big big middle ground around enjoyment and functional 
very much overlaps so like you know we've put out infographics before in fact i've got one saved down somewhere which i might even repost which you know a bit of a venn diagram which kind of crosses over the two circles that shows you like enjoyment of function either side and how much of it overlaps and it's a big chunk of it overlaps in that most i like it a little bit like where um i can't remember if i said this in a call with a client or with a I said this on the podcast. I think it was a call with a client, so it, it might not be something I've said before on the podcast. But um, I heard somewhere once, I can't remember where or who by, but um, kind of like if you if you kind of then this was to do with training, but if you kind of expect that eighty percent of your training sessions will be bang average, very neutral, like they'll be okay training sessions. They may not may not light the world on fire, but they won't be shit. You'll just get through them, get them done, and think they're okay. 10% will be absolute dog shit to a point where you probably won't warm up, go in and think this is shit, I'm going home, I'm not even going to bother trying. And the other 10% will be the best training session you've ever had in your life and you'll just wish like every training session was like it. And I sometimes think, actually not, that's spot on. That's how I feel about most of my training in that I will get some really banging sessions and I'll get some really terrible ones where I don't even complete. Although it very rarely happens because I just, even though I absolutely hate them, I just get them done anyway. But I guess that's just my habits, routines, my identity and, you know, it's my lifestyle almost that, that, there's a very little stops me actually training nowadays um but yeah most of my training sessions are very like meh you know i just get them done move on and you know yeah i kind of enjoy them but like during the sessions perhaps i enjoy them less than i enjoy once i've kind of the, the endorphins the exercise feelings afterwards and i think nutrition can sometimes be quite similar where 80 percent of your meals are probably very meh you know i i you know i don't eat anything i hate but you know most of my meals certainly if we think about specific examples of what i eat most of the time most of the time i eat things like lean protein sources loads of veg um some some starch sources that i enjoy like i don't know i can't often you know packet rices um packet lentils you know beans these types of things that are flavorsome they're all got flavored in them so they're not completely plain i enjoy eating them um like the, my protein sources generally flavors so i'll use things like Maggie bags you know the little m-a-g-g-i i think it's Maggie or maggie bags i don't know where obviously they like cook the chicken in a flavor um all those parchment things basically whatever i'm eating has a lot of flavor to them and they're enjoyable but clearly i would swap them any day of the week for the same calorie content if it was a burger and chips because obviously that is pure pleasure almost whereas obviously you know the, these things serve some function but they also overlap with that they're, they're not foods i hate they're enjoyable and i think like my nutrition i'll probably find 80% of what I eat fits in that bracket of like enjoyable but functional as in like I don't hate them um they're foods that I aren't like you know they aren't on the burger chip scale but I enjoy eating them and I get finished thinking oh that's nice um I think that's, for, that's this is the way I got to with Dave where I said like this where you've got to find almost this this mindset of like every single meal doesn't have to be the most outstanding meal you're ever going to eat I think that's half the problem you almost feel like every food I eat I've, or every meal I've got I make has to be the best meal ever it's kind of like as soon as you realize that it doesn't and that there's another meal coming afterwards you know in a few hours time and another meal after that and another meal the next day you suddenly realize it's okay to have some meals that are completely functional and serve a purpose and especially when you then have a goal in mind like weight loss or dieting if that's what you want to do it's actually better for you to pick more functional meals that just you know get the job done which is very much the job being appetite regulation we know that the biggest predictive success for weight loss is going to be adherence to a diet adherence to a calorie deficit so to adhere to a calorie deficit you need to manage your hunger because being hungry is probably what's going to set you off for the most part off track so if you can do that and you know pick a functional food that will manage that hunger which let's be honest we know is things that we just said 
lower variety of foods, higher food volume, higher protein, higher fiber. All of those things are going to be things that are very, you know, they, they all of those things I've just said fit under the functional category because the types of foods you're going to be picking are probably seen as quite, that sounds contradictory now, so it's boring or bland because they shouldn't be because I've just explained why they don't have to be boring and bland. You know, you can make them more interesting, but they're not burger and chips, say. So. So, and obviously, if you, most of your meals serve a purpose, you can then get away with having smaller amounts of like purely enjoyable foods, even on a diet. And I guess that's where a lot of coaches sell their services. Oh, you know, you can drink wine, eat chocolates, still lose weight. And obviously, they then tell you that in the bit, yeah, but it's only like 5% of your diet is going to be chocolate and wine. The rest of it's going to be vegetables, lean protein, high fiber, um, grains, you know, legumes, beans, pulses, that type of stuff. Um, so, yeah. I, don't know, I waffled a bit there, but I think obviously like that's that was kind of the end outcome. I just thought it was an interesting thing because he's this week since kind of thinking of that way. He said, like by his own admission, and I'll be honest, that sounds ridiculous, really, that that people think this way. But I think it's really really common. But he's like, it's just, just suddenly just changed a different mindset. It's like food tradition has always been ple- pleasure, and I've never really thought about it deep enough to realise why that is, or, or even that it was the case until I really thought about it. But I now feel like I've got this different mindset now. It's almost like a game changer. Like he went out, I think, today with, like he sent me a WhatsApp just to say, went out today with the kids and where I'd have usually picked a convenience food that was there, I've now got, I've just decided to go for a pack of ham from the spa or fucking local little shop or whatever it is um, with a fruit pot and some like vegetables on the side or something, like a pack of, I don't know, chopped carrots. I don't know, I can't remember what he said it was now. But he said it's just like, I've made myself think about it and I've just get my head around this kind of eating for function. It's just like opened a new world to me. It's almost like you didn't think that was an that was an option you could do. It's like, why wouldn't you think it's an option you can do? It's like, it's so obvious, isn't it, to me and you? Because it's like, that's something you would probably do. You wouldn't go out and automatically pick fish and chips from the seaside or something unless it's something you really wanted and you were purposely eating for enjoyment. You'd probably think about, okay, I've got these other goals or behaviours that I have to kind of adhere to because of you know i want a healthful diet i want a weight loss journey or whatever that is so actually i'll pick something that serves that a bit better it might end up being something like lean protein salad you know or something a bit better than a fish and chips potentially so does that make sense yeah but i think people think when you say oh you eat for function that means it's got to be bland foods that yeah so if you eat for function it means that i'm eating for function and zero enjoyment yeah that almost never has to happen, does it? Like zero no. enjoyment. You should probably, if you don't enjoy food, you probably shouldn't be eating it full stop. No. It's like, I like, I enjoy fruit and honey and things like that. I mean, low, low calorie. Add, add like a, a scoop of protein with a bit of milk. And then you've got a fairly low calorie meal that tastes nice and is what you call functional. But, you're having chocolate protein, which is these days protein is very nice, and fruit and a bit of honey. So that's functional, but it also tastes nice to me anyway. People might not like whey protein, but you know what I mean. Yeah, people. I think people associate because you've always got these motivational videos online and new. I eat for function, big giant bodybuilder. You know, who's just eating chicken, rice, and broccoli. This is no. You're not eating for function. You're eating because you don't understand how you get in lean. You just think, oh, I'm eating chicken, rice, and broccoli, and that's how I get lean. They don't understand what you can actually have a bit of spice in the herb and a chicken breast, mind, to make it taste tidy. Or you can have some roasted veg, which makes it taste nice. Because I think that's what people associate eating functionally eating with bland, horrible foods that you just dislike when it's actually, 
not the case. And with an additional couple of calories, you can transform the meal totally. Just mm-hmm. by adding herbs, spices, the things you talked about, the, the, you know, cooking the chicken in the bag and all that sort of stuff. Yeah. So, that kind of function and taste together, then... Yeah, I, I was gonna. I was gonna say. I mean, I think the the problem is, is people almost can't imagine having a meal that that isn't purely for enjoyment. And I get why. I mean, I guess if you think about historically, wh- why we're kind of like genetically or um, evolutionary driven, or you know, why we're driven to eat certain foods. Like we know that we're driven to eat higher calorie foods, mixture of macronutrients, like high 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 carb, high fat, um, even high protein. Uh, like high amounts of salts, sugars, things that obviously have a variety in flavors. All those things are driven from the fact that they are good for survival and they help us survive famine. Back in the day when we were hunter gatherers, we had to obviously find, you know, we had to get off our ass base to go find food, otherwise we would die. And obviously, a mechanism that basically, I guess, drives us to eat lettuce probably isn't going to do very well to help us survive a famine. So kind of we know why we kind of or some of the reason why we overeat and some of the reason what's driving us to have these foods obviously they have you know a big pleasure or or a food reward system or um yeah obviously they have a big food reward which obviously then drives us to want to eat more um and i guess obviously again that's why people feel like that's, that's what they need to do every time they have a meal they need to have to like spike this food reward and this pleasure system every time they have a meal And i guess the more you do that the more you then want to do it again and obviously exacerbates the cravings and the issues and sort of overeating so you do think to yourself well you know that's why the literature aligns with lowering food variety tends to mean that we have less cravings less need or drive to eat more of these kind of so-called unhealthy foods um to a point i guess i you, you said it earlier didn't you obviously that you know you, you can't purely eat for function because you'll get to a point where the kind of idea of restriction and having to restrain or putting in so much cognitive restraint then breaks at some point because we only have only have a finite amount of that before we then kind of start to go all in on the buffet because we've we've restricted for so long so it's and i think that's probably it and it's this aligns with the, the enjoyment and function comment about finding that real happy balance between the two um of really kind of what suits you in terms of how much function is going to get you towards your goal how much enjoyment is going to keep you on track um, and make life worth living. Let's be honest. One hundred percent. Like if if you were a, if you were re- a really really good cook, then most of your diet would be well, probably all of your diet would be very very good in terms of taste. Whether that taste actually in, in um, works against you for weight loss when you get closer to your goals, because obviously the, if it's tasty, you tend to want more of it, so it's harder to control appetite. But in just terms of you know making the meals functional and tasty. The, more, the better you can cook, and the more you learn to cook, the, the easier life is going to be for you. Yeah. I, I, do, I think. I think that. Sorry, mate. I was say. I think there is an element of there's only so much taste you can put into certain foods mm. that are also functionable, which will then satisfy people. Because I guess it's kind of like there's always going to be that element of like someone just wants a fucking brownie and they want a burger or they want something that's kind of you know for the reasons I said around food reward and kind of evolutionary drivers to eat. There's always going to be an element of you're avoiding them by trying to mask them with kind of tasty lower calorie foods you know like healthful foods um 
yeah, I'm trying to I'm trying hard not to conflate low calorie and healthful like they're one and the same because they're absolutely not. You can have high calorie healthful foods, of course you can, and obviously low calories isn't always better. But also, I guess we're we're thinking about people trying to manage weight and potentially kind of on a weight loss journey. So I suppose we're kind of going down the route a bit more. But anyway, um, I lost my train of thought now. What was I saying? What was you saying? Actually, I don't know because I have the baby woke up. <laughs> okay. Um, yes. I, no, no. I, well, I was kind of going with, um, I don't know. It doesn't matter. Um, I guess, obviously, the idea is, I think one of the ideas I think that really works for people is that what I said earlier around, like once you do realise, obviously, not every meal has to be the most, most outstanding meal is kind of is a bit of a game changer. Because I think it, you just give yourself a bit of allowance or freedom then to just say, actually, okay, it is okay to have a meal that, I'm just going to partly enjoy it's going to keep me full and satisfied to the next one and that yeah. can obviously just put that can help people out so much in terms of then just sticking to their diet like I tell I told both my clients <clears throat> recently they don't have to cook fresh veg every day I mean all you need to do is boil some frozen veg if you want to it's easy you just leave it boil is just finished put on plate done so if, if that's the way if that's the only way you eat veg then just do that it doesn't you don't have to be cooking and chopping every you know every meal you can just chuck a kilo or two kilos of veg to boil and then you can use that for like 10 meals enough to keep it there done so it's like it's like it's as easy it's simple and like we said before the longer you can stick to a diet the more you can adhere to a diet the better your results are going to be and if that if you haven't got time to do certain things then chop you know Chucking a few chicken breasts in the oven and putting the frozen veg on the boil keeps you on track. Then that's it. It's potentially purely functional because you know how how much can you really make boiled veg taste that nice? But it gets your veg in fiber, micronutrients, keeps you on track, low calorie, serves a purpose. May not taste out of this world, but you haven't got time, so it's it's, it's functional. Hmm. I've remembered what I was going to say. So, um, I was going to say that we're trying to mask or circumnavigate, I suppose, the the kind of whole food reward system by having tasty foods that are lower calorie. Um, but I suppose the point I was going to make is sometimes that that doesn't still doesn't do the job. Like you still feel unsatisfied, even though you're having a, like a really high tasty food. Um, if it doesn't have the underlying kind of energy. Uh, reward no not reward i guess delivery of energy nutrients the things that are triggering these food reward systems if it, if it kind of doesn't do that you still might get the same problems of like you're still left feeling unsatisfied or still going to have cravings for certain stuff um that was the point i was going to make because i guess these evolutionary drivers still exist no matter how much you try and avoid them um but yeah I, obviously this whole concept is very complicated because it's so nuanced and all these different little things kind of all have to align together for the you know for someone to be successful in terms of their outcome um, things like you know your psychology of it, your your behaviour, your habits, your consistency, the the food choices, food quality, all of these things. You know your education. They all need to like all those stars almost need to align for some of them be successful. Um, which is what makes coaching so difficult because it's kind of like if it was just as easy to say, well, you just need to be the calorie deficit. Go and do this. You know, here's your macros. Go off macro coach, and away you go, and you'd have loads of success. But obviously, it doesn't work with clients because. You, you do need all of those different things like all to start to to align to really be successful the fundamental principle of weight loss is very simple but it's not easy 
I had that exact, or I used that exact phrase with Dave the other day. When we were talking about stuff, I was saying, obviously, these things are like weight loss itself. See, he even said, like, I don't know, like, I know what I need to do. I just don't know why I can't do it. And, out of, and I say no, he can't do it. Obviously, that sounds harsh. Like, if he listens to this, which obviously he does listen to it. So, it's, he'll, that obviously, it makes it sound as though he's not succeeding. He absolutely is succeed, succeeding. We were just talking about kind of like periods where I think this weekend he had four burgers and a KFC of the weekend. Um, which is quite some going, let's be honest. <laughs> um, and I'm sure you won't mind me saying that out. But obviously, we were talking about what led to those behaviours, and it was kind of things like, you know, you know, the things we talked about here, and kind of mindset around food in certain scenarios, in terms of being out, being busy, not having a plan B, um, and obviously the way he then thinks about food and being able to like make certain choices. This is why we talked about. Well, you know, you kind of have, sometimes you have to think about food being more functional than you know having a purpose than we do kind of having to be enjoyable. You don't have to have enjoyable food all the time. Um, but yeah, yeah. I just thought I also thought it was just quite an interesting topic because I guess, like he said himself, as much as it seems really obvious to people, I don't think it is that obvious. I think people don't think that deeply about their food choices quite no, often. Just eat it. Like they don't think about what. Yeah, exactly. They, just eat, they don't think they're why they're picking certain foods. They just literally go, "Ooh, that feels. That sounds nice. I'll have that." Or, oh yeah, I really fancy that. Well, you'll always fancy the foods that particularly aren't health-serving. So, because obviously, again, like generally, that's the way our food reward systems work. We want high-calorie, high-carb, high-fat, high-sugar, high-salt, high-protein foods, which are always pizza, ice cream, donuts, burgers, you know, all of those those kind of mixed macronutrient foods which taste uber-fucking-good because food companies have tried to make them taste as good as they can. So they're the things you're always going to crave because they trigger off those food reward systems because they're very good for survival, as we said. So, um, yeah, I think you kind of have to sometimes think about it a bit more deeply because if not, that's, that is all you end up eating if you don't think about it. And that's why we've got an obesity epidemic. It's definitely a big part of it, yeah. And, I mean, that's contributing more than likely to people, one in two people getting cancer these days. Mm-hmm. the population we are more healthy we eat too much we don't exercise enough we're too stressed more at risk at covid yeah i mean i've been interested to see how many people who were were obese or, or overweight who got really ill from covid mm. if you um if you believe joe rogan and obviously i haven't factored this so i don't know but he likes to spout quite often around um the, the the majority of people have died or the average i think it's something like the average comorbidity of someone that's died from you know covid in air quotes died from covid uh, it's something like 2.6 comorbidities or something like that i can't remember what number it was but and obviously they're saying like obviously they're all overweight or they're all got heart conditions or they're all got that and basically just trying to imply that basically if you're young look after yourself fit and healthy you won't die from it clearly that's not that's a very fucking dim way of looking at it in terms of that it's a lot more complicated than that and just because you are fit and healthy doesn't mean that you won't die from covid because uh, unfortunately it does infect everyone differently but i guess associations wise the like the larger you are the, the kind of the more body fat you hold or the higher your bmi you have seen worse out tend to see worse outcomes in covid and obviously like you said it's the same in in cancer um and a lot of other types of diseases so it's important to look after your health look up, and obviously weight does kind of fall in line with that in some way maybe not not quite as linear as people might think but still you know you can't argue that being clinically obese um doesn't increase risk markers for stuff because it does oh, yeah. for the most part across the board anyway you know not everybody yeah. but um, i wonder how much 
cancer would be reduced if everyone in the UK was of healthy weight, exercise at least twice a week and maintain a good quality diet. I wonder what figure that would be. Obviously, you've got to factor in genetics, obviously, but... Well, and, want... and obviously other risk associations yeah. like yeah. smoking and, you know, yeah. drinking, oh. yeah. I wonder. I wonder if it just... Imagine going to smoking, drinking, excess drinking, and everybody's a healthy weight. I well, wonder what savings that would... That would save the NHS across the year. I think it would be obviously dramatically uh, less risk for people. I think it would be massive, huge savings. I mean, there's there's definitely some data and statistics out there. I know that because I've seen it before, but I can't remember what, what the the numbers were. But how kind of like reducing the obesity epidemic would have X amount of projected savings for you know save X amount of money. Problem is obviously it's quite complicated. Again, nuances, lots of kind of knock on effects for stuff, but. I sometimes think like, well, you know, if everyone lives longer, then the cost of things like retirement planning and other stuff all goes up. So perhaps the government don't care because it all comes out in the wash anyway. Mm. Do, you know what, do you know what I ate? I ate. Oh, I know so-and-so, he was really fit now, and he just dropped dead. So that that sort of gives him the green light to... Yeah, relax. yeah, well, it's like, it's like, it's like yeah. little old deer in the village that smoked till she's 106, you know. Yeah. She never had any, she never got cancer? Okay. It's just like, oh, that's what that uh, justifies you smoking for your day. I mean, you can walk across the N25, your eyes shut, and you might survive, but yeah. probably a good chance that you won't as well. If someone says, if someone says things like that, I just instantly think, you're stupid. <laughs> I just think stupid, you're stupid. Funny yeah. thing is, that stupid pe- there isn't, there isn't just stupid people that say things like that. Obviously, very <laughs> intelligent people say things like that, but there's um, we're funny old things, aren't we, human beings? Funny old creatures. I think I think it could be stupid, but in particular areas, you don't have to be generally stupid. No, you, you can you can be genuinely intelligent, definitely, and say stupid things, of course, yeah, or be stupid in certain areas, of course, yeah. Like I mean, I I, I don't know why this is, and it's kind of you know very anecdotal. Although I think a lot of people can relate, but you do tend to find, obviously, intellectual individuals lack a lot of common sense, and you know, vice versa. I read something on Facebook yesterday. Funny enough about uh, COVID, and apparently, this um, I, I, this is a very, very judgmental. However, when you think of someone who apparently has a PhD in immunology, you would you would you would you would suggest that the way they carry themselves and the grammar and the spelling and the structure of the sentences they put together would be fairly articulate and intelligent. Well, this particular individual was confident in something else, not mine. He said, um, yeah, to stop COVID, you just have to have an acidic uh, pH. Thinking, right. I, I very much, I said, I very much doubt you have got a PhD in the immunology if you speak and say things like that. I think uh, a very blanket closed sweeping statement would probably suggest take that advice of caution you know in that absolute way is probably a case of oh that's that should trigger off a few alarm bells like yeah straight away but i think that's the thing with critical thinking isn't it people would take that his oh i'm a phd and this is gospel authority bias isn't it yeah screenshot it put on their facebook and then they've got another lot of stupid people 
boy, oh, look at this, uh, look at this doctor who said blah blah blah. blah. Let's go and let's go and make a uh, blood acidic, which means you're probably gonna die. You know or, I mean? or, or will die, yeah. Get yeah acid, acidosis will. and die, you know. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, yeah. I uh, I think let's call it there. So thank you all for listening. Hopefully, it's an interesting news. Um, and I guess we will see you next week. Yeah, you will. We'll not see you. You you listen to us next week. Oh yeah, so it's the video, do we? Mm. Oh, no, I must, just... choose, must choose my words way more carefully. You should. At least I didn't call. At least I didn't call you a terrorist. Thank you for listening to the NNN podcast. If you enjoyed the show, please help us by rating on your podcast provider, sharing with your networks, so we can get our content out to more people. See you next week. Mm.